Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You can apply that dastardly intro again. Ow! This movie's still fine. Zakoli One of them dies, that guy's screw. One of them's a hottie, his name is Jack. One of them looks like Johnny D, and his name is Johnny D. Classic Maximum Joseph. You forget that films are supposed to have a point. Hello. Hello and welcome to this director's commentary. Of the film. Of the film. We are your friends. Oh, we, we work so well together that we finish each other's sentences, don't we? We sure do. My name is Max Joseph, but you might know me affectionately by my self-chosen and very popular nickname, Maximum Joseph. And my name is Megan Oppenheimer. Megan, Megan Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. A pleasure to see you. Say it with me now. Megan, Megan Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Everybody at home, once more. Megan Oppenheimer, and that is how we would start every day. When we were working on the script, We Are Your Friends, we thought to portray friendship, we'd best display friendship to each other. One of our many rhyming slogans that we use to guide (laughs) the writing process, hundreds of which we will share with you throughout this director's commentary. Well, rest assured, there is ample opportunity as we hold your hand through this screening of our... I would say commercially, you know, uh, not... Mixed? Yeah. I really love that term, mixed, because when this movie came out, we had what got described as mixed reviews. Which was exactly what we were hoping for, because what's an important element of DJing? You guessed it. The mixing. See, we say we know each other so well, we can guess exactly where the other one's going. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to behold, isn't it? Um, so look, listen, welcome to this film. We're in it now. Um, we've been introduced to our first two characters already uh, who, uh, you know, we took a lot of time fleshing them out, really thinking about them. We wanted yeah. to make some three-dimensional representations of the kind of fuck boys that we were used to on the LA scene. Frustratingly, neither of us could remember examples of the people we tried to write about. So we had to kind of build the characters from scratch. We had to create entire people. You don't look in a position to, that you'll be comfortable even after about 20 minutes, I've got to say, Max. Do you want to do you chill out or are you okay for now? Uh, do you want me to chill out? I, I, can... just, I just want you to be in a position where you can chill out because we're in for a long time, not a good time. Yeah, you know no doubt. Saying? 
you want me to make some adjustments so that maybe your headphones aren't quite so? No, no. I got to tell you, Megan. Okay? I love how accommodating you are. I've always said this about you. Too accommodating, if anything. All right. Rest assured, if I'm uncomfortable, I will speak out. So, Max, um, we thought we'd chuck some more characters in at this point because we've done such a good job of commentating yeah. on the fleshed-out nature of the two. We haven't even named them yet. Look, we, we've we've copped an eyeful of our star. Yeah, we really have. Zucoli, the crying DJ, um, who we decided to have embodied by the actor Zach Zaysfron, I believe his name is. That's how he insists on being called now. At the time, he was known as Zach Efron. Probably still... Um, even though it was years ago, still best known probably for his role in High School Musical. Certainly at the time we secured him for the film. I mean, I would argue he still is, And right? Yeah. The crazy thing is we we showed him the um, the original script for We Are Your Friends, uh, and we told him, well, it was at the time, it was a pitch for High School Musical 4, uh, and he was really excited by it. He, he was positively jazzed. He was. And like we say when we made the movie, if you want to make it with them, you got to fake it with them. You see? So sometimes you got to pop a little feels lie like a, a new spin on an old uh, Hollywood favourite. I have no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> of course, as usual, Maximum. So um, we thought it would be fun in this bit of the film to just, like, we were take finding, a break from making a yeah, film. Yeah, we were finding storytelling really hard. <laughs> um, and it was quite jarring for us how quickly we found that pop up in the process. So... Just to make sure we remain comfortable with the process, we decided at this point we'd insert a music video, something which yeah. is much easier to direct. Uh, that something doesn't require. We've both got a lot of experience yeah. in. I myself have directed numerous music videos. And I myself also have directed numerous music videos. We don't need to get into the finer points of which or for whom no. or when. Some of them are very well known, and not for the end product, but uh, certainly for some of uh, what happened on. Look, anyway, that's all in the past now. And the future is uh, is is this is now really, isn't it? These are the characters establishing uh, some of their personality traits, their relationships to one another. And instead of writing dialogue, what we did is we got all of them to just say it straight down the barrel of the fucking camera. We just thought it would be easier, you know. Yeah, and, was... and a lot of these decisions were made in the editing room. I have to confess, <laughs> there was a lot of ADR. A lot of um, we kind of got to the point where the studio was getting furious that a movie wasn't coming out. <laughs> Oh, okay. We've experienced that first technical error. That's good. What's uh, what seems to be the problem there, Megan? I'm not sure. Uh, well, rest so, assured, the film is going along keep happening. at a reasonable <laughs> clip. Yeah. Uh, as you as you were saying, oh, what what exactly were you saying? Look, it's impossible to tell, but um, it, you know, life comes at you pretty fast. Yeah, so. Sure. Fuck, what I was trying to um, tell everyone was that a lot of these uh, decisions got made in the editing room because the studio were going, they, they keep tapping their watch, they walk into the room with us and they just tap on their wristwatch and we go, yeah, 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 yeah. We get we it, get you've it. got a it. nice watch. They come in with a calendar, a wall calendar, we say, yes, yes, we get it, you can afford wall calendars, we get, we understand, we've got, we read you. And then um, uh, Jeff from the studio, he, he told both of us, he said, you two will never work in this town again if you don't fulfill your contractual obligations to give us a Zeisfran-led ensemble music movie. And we said, well, that's a terrifying prospect because that deadline is looming and we've been through all of the footage, a movie it does not make currently. So we started scrambling, uh, looking for other um, 
editors with music video experience and then discovered uh, this nifty little thing called stock footage, which you can purchase online pretty cheaply. If any of you are sort of stuck in the uh, quagmire of making a movie right now, I cannot recommend stock footage enough. It was a real game changer for us. We accidentally gave Zeiss Fron the majority of the production budget of this film, um, but I think the stock footage did a majority of the heavy lifting and storytelling. That's right. And it cost us next to nothing. Well, we, A few we, hundred dollars. We pitched that sort of marketing idea to the 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 the, the, the studio. We said... To Jeff. We said, what what about this? A movie that is led by stock footage. And uh, Jeff said, look, that's that's not really what we paid you for. And, and we that, said, and I know, but that's what we got. You're, you're cleaning that up a bit too, because I tell you what, Jeff <laughs> curses... Like a sailor, absolute potty mouth mm. on that man. If you don't uh, know, sailors did, are famous for having a, a terrible mouths. He did have a point though, which is that we, we were treading new ground. It had not been done before. Well, uh, not successfully. And they also rate. assured us that the marketing materials weren't really part of our um, responsibility, which I kind of found infuriating. I largely made this movie to experience what it's like to advertise one. So to have that taken away from me, really. You just wanted to get on that junket, didn't you, Max? Yeah, well, had a lot of fun on the junket, obviously, with uh, Zeiss Fron, as he wants to be known now. Mm. And um, not didn't do a lot of tours with Jarhead, actually. He didn't really want to come on any of the, the, the media junkets, um, confusingly to me. No, well, he's a serious actor. I believe he had a play opening uh, downtown LA. He was doing a Shakespeare. It's crazy to Shakespeare me. Shakespeare show, is that what they're called? Yeah. Shakespeare but show. You would act in a movie and then afterwards choose to do a play. I was like, uh, Jarhead... We've we've got cameras. We can film this so, stuff. Hey, hey, dude, what was the um, first maneuver as a seven-year-old once you were cracked riding a bicycle? Did you chuck some training wheels on it again? Like, no. is it, did you take a step back? You no, did dude. It. You've, it's the exact same situation. Well, in this circumstance, Jarhead actually had. That's exactly what it. He found the thrill of riding a bicycle without training wheels too exhilarating, and so uh, every night he'd wait for his parents to fall asleep, and he'd. He'd tell the story every day on set, which eventually became infuriating, but he'd run downstairs under the banner of darkness and affix training wheels back to his bike because he found it a much more secure experience. Seems crazy to me. Every morning his father would take them off and every night he'd put them back on again. <laughs> so he's um, he's certainly a cautious man. And he, uh, he sort of insisted between takes on doing, like on, pra- I guess you could call it practicing, but... Um, on yeah, practicing the takes with the other performers, which we all found very distracting when we were trying to have a good time. He keep tugging at their shirts and saying, "We got to go, we got to go practice." Yeah, what did he call it? Um, Re- rehearsal. I think it's because when you ride horses, you want to have a couple of goes before you get in the race. Well, so just like, we need to re- rehearsal. That the sounds, scene. That it's sounds so right strange. to me. Of course, acting is Jarhead's second passion after equestrian. Correct, and boy, did he let us hear about it and see it by bringing his uh, equine to set every day. He insisted every day upon riding it. We said, we can send a car for you. He said, no, no, I'm fine for transport, thank you. P.S., I'm going to need some hay bales, shade, sugar cubes, salt licks, a water pail, a bridle, um, and a brush. I, of course, didn't know at the time that horses like sugar cubes. Yeah, they love them. They can't get enough. Wow. But more as a special treat, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a good thing that horses have hooves and not fingers. Otherwise, they'd always be combing through the sugar cubes. And masturbating. (laughs) 
That's the other thing they'll be can, doing all the time. You can masturbate with hooves. Can you? You can't with your horse's legs, though, can you? Oh, look, nuts. No. Why was Jahi, he kept insisting on tending to the horse every couple of days. Yeah, well, I think he just meant making sure that the horse was still alive. I mean, we did work long hours. Oh, my God. I feel embarrassed now because my mind went to a whole other place. Oh, you thought he was... I thought he was waking up. That's illegal. I mean, you know, I'm as open-minded as the next guy, Megan. It's not illegal. It's it's a necessary part of um, horse husbandry. I I know that it's not... If you want to be a good husband, you've got to wake that horse off. I know that it's not, you know, strictly speaking, illegal, but I saw what he was doing, and the way Jayhead was doing it, definitely illegal. So, look, as sure as my name is Megan Oppenheimer... (laughs) Which it is. Co-writer of this fine film. Boy, did we have a great time filming this scene. Yeah. We're introduced... To our antagonist, uh, yeah, yeah, slash uh, sort of very formative figure in the the professional career of uh, Zay Cole's character um, Zacoli, Zay's friend's character Zacoli. Sorry, uh, DJ James Reed. Um, now a lot of DJs get DJ names, but we thought, you know what, something a little different for this guy. What if? What if? What if we forgot to give him a DJ name in the movie about DJs? And, and what if we did the exact same thing with our lead character played by Zeiss Fron? You know? Yeah. And the student, Jeff, was ropeable. Well, the thing is, if you want to capture the essence of uh, the Los Angeles underground electronic music scene, then what, what you got to do is um, you got to get out there. you got to see the sights, you got to smell the smells, uh, and you got to drink the drinks. And so that's what Megan and I did. We went out there and we got absolutely rat-faced. And after two months of intensive research, we came back with diddly-doo. Uh, and Jeff said, we what did you find out the there? Game. And we sort of just panicked. That was the first meeting back after our two-month research break. And we said, well, I'll tell you one thing that they're not doing. Working. Using alternative names. Yeah, 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 for sure. Definitely no one needs to have a name. The thing with Jeff is he, um, what I admired about him is he had a lot of faith in us. He just kind of left us to it. But then once he found out what we were doing, that trust quickly was eroded. He's not afraid to make decisions and he's not afraid to go back on them. And that's a trait that I think is very valuable in in an employer or an employee just in a professional relationship. You've got to make decisions all the time. Yeah. Here's one that we made for this scene. Uh, When we introduce the love interest to Zeiss Fron and what should she be wearing? Uh, Beetlejuice's top? Sounds good. Yeah. Let's, let's run with that. A lot that. of people don't know that. It's the original top from Michael Keaton's Beetlejuice. Some people call it Tim Burton's, but not me. Not after the way Tim treated me. Um, no, let's get into that, no, actually. No, no, let's get into that. It's let's water under the bridge. That. Tim and I get along fine now. What happened with you and Tim Burton? What project were you working on? Because this is a story that did not come out in filming. Well, and for good reason. Um, I think I'm... I don't know what the word is. Do you is. hold my beer? Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Max. I got you, Megan. Pretty much, um, Tim and I were, were directing a music video that was never released for uh, Johnny Depp. Oh, boy. Yeah. Johnny Depp, eh? What a, what a guy. But he's not a... What a well, and, 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 yeah. guy. Johnny wasn't doing that well at the time either. Well, um, he's not doing that well now, from what I gather either. He's no, sort of, no, no. The wave has uh, crested in betwixt. In betwixt then and now. I saw that Pirates movie. <laughs> the latest one? Yeah. How was it? No good. Uh, look, we can't shit on the industry too hard, but tell me all about it. So we wanted to introduce some cool to the film, and we decided the way that you introduce cool to We Are Your Friends is with drug use. So we wrote in this nifty little scene. I say wrote. This one was a little more organic, I have to confess. 
uh, Maximum Joseph started waving a notebook in front of my face and it just had the words drugs in circles all over the page, various sizes, various capitalization. And I said, okay. okay. That was sure actually... as my name is Megan Oppenheimer, co-writer of We Are Your Friends, I surely don't know what you're talking about. And Max said, someone give me a fucking camera and a boom operator and watch this. He took two of our leading men, two crew, and he produced the scene all by himself. And I, I've never been prouder to work with you. Here's some of that stock footage. Doing the heavy lifting. Yeah. Aerial shot of uh, Los Angeles at Funnily night. enough, uh, this scene, also all stock footage. Unbelievably, there was uh, stock footage, old stock footage of Zac Efron and Wes Bentley acting against, against each other in exactly the same costumes yeah. as they're in, in the scenes surrounding it in this film. So obviously we just brought that up, slotted it in, and it, I mean... It's just too perfect. In terms really, of storytelling, it... it, it Sort of clip, clip things, keeps things moving along at a reasonable clip quite, quite nicely. Oh boy! Okay, very good. <laughs> Max, you did, you're right Sorry, over there. I was uh, every every day at the same time. I work on my Donald Duck impression, and oh, it's just clicked over to be that time. Yeah, but it's, it's over be now. That time of the hour. So minimum Joseph making a uh, debut in the movie, and by debut I mean cameo because that's the first and last time we see him. Minimum Joseph is, and I know he's a good friend of yours, Max, but. Jesus Christ, that kid is annoying. Hey, come on now. He had no right to be on set. He had every right. Had every right to be on set. What in in what world he was, was he entitled to be on set? A hired extra. I paid him in petrol vouchers. That's true. Uh, as all of our extras were. Yeah, we and found some interesting loopholes to those union laws, which is that if they're not working for you, you don't have to pay them. And what is work? Is it attending a party where there happens to be a lot of cinema cameras around? No, it's just a party, you know? Doesn't sound like work to me. I mean, we put them through their paces, sure. I guess they all just went home and thought that was a really weird party. Yeah. And, I mean, then there was the release forms. Yeah. Well, the way you want to do that is you want to forge the signatures. You want to forge all of them. That way you avoid any tricky conversations. Any sort of people who studied or are studying law or like to fancy themselves as a lawyer and ask, you know, pesky. Ah, anyway. This is why I enjoy doing these um, director's commentaries. Often I do it for my famous music videos, which we won't get into the back catalogue of now. But these little tips and tricks of filmmaking for um, young guns who are just getting into the industry, they might not know that forging signatures for a party shoot is just the easiest way to go. If you go to any of the filmmaking schools, a lot of them are going to tell you you need release forms. Yeah, you know what I say? Fuck film school. You do say that. Um, a, do, you, do you know what I keep saying on set? Of course you do, because I said it all the time. Uh, film school, not cool. You know, it was another one of our little rhyming That slogans. one was more yours. I actually went to film school, and I found it to be uh, very, very valuable okay. on my journey to being the director I am today, Maximum Joseph. And that's why we work so well together, because we come from different backgrounds. And but we finish each other's sentences. Not where I was going with that at all. I was going to say we sort of complement each other's with the different skill sets and backgrounds that we come from. Yeah, and especially the sentences thing. So, <laughs> animators? That's what Jeff said to us. He kicked in the door <laughs> one day and said, animators? And we said, Jeff, what are you talking about? And uh, he, he, said, he threw his watch down onto yeah. the desk where we were scribbling <laughs> some notes. And he said, guys, the film's coming out in a month. I, I've got an idea. What if I've got access to a few animators. What if we put a cartoon in the film? We said, love it. Couldn't have felt better about it. We were hoping it would take up more time. Yeah, we really were. Anywhere up to 30 or 40 minutes, but... um, Turns out he only had enough petrol vouchers to pay the animators for um, 
about 45 seconds of sequence, which still turned out to be a, a surprisingly you know, large amount of I petrol think, vouchers. Well, yeah, the thing is it's just harder to get animators at a party and working <laughs> yeah. and convince them that they're not working. Oh, they sort of tricky. they fancy themselves detectives, and they they more often than not will see right through that. This is what filmmaking's all about, you know. The greats: Hitchcock, Spielberg, Cameron. What do they all have in common? They figured out how to trick animators into coming to parties and how to forge I their thought signatures. You were maybe going to include me on that. You, you know, I want to be on that list. You know as well as anyone, my name belongs on that list, Megan. Maximum Joseph. The fuel for good art is the pursuit of greatness. So by putting you on that plinth alongside your heroes, I would be robbing you of the opportunity to continue to strive for greatness. I won't do that, and I won't tolerate very, others doing it very either. Very underhanded way of telling me I'm not great. So... This was a scene that we decided to shoot after a big night out, and we just thought we'd roll with it. So everyone's hung over, yeah. except Somali, because she is an insufferable bore. <laughs> Megan. From one woman to another. I will not stand for that statement. She just because someone lives brought, a different lifestyle no, no, from you no, doesn't listen, make them a bore. I know that. I know woman-on-woman woman violence in the industry shouldn't be tolerated verbally or physically, but I engaged in both on this film. Uh, numerous You times. really shouldn't be dredging any of this up, Megan, i got to uh, tell you. Well, look. I found, I think, the most intimidating element of the way you treated Somali on set was the psychological warfare you waged. I won't apologize for it. Well, you really should. Well, I won't, and I'll barely acknowledge it. This it, is a fun little joke that you thought of. Yeah, I, I said, what if... We played. A, we we put a phone secretly on set somewhere and called it while the actors were performing, and uh, they were so confused. You can see them all here. They're just furious with me. You can see it written all over their faces. And then eventually they said, "Where is it?" I said, "I'm never going to tell you." And they just sort of had to act around it. And that's yeah. why everyone's kind of on edge here. Mm. They do look pissed off as well, don't they? Yeah. And that's to, to you. And you rightly you're so. the one who's And they're all beautiful. That. And i got to tell you, it's usually harder to piss off beautiful people because often they're just thinking to themselves how beautiful they are for some reason. gives them a sense of satisfaction. That's so, so odd. Imagine just walking around constantly being unable to emote because you're just obsessed with how beautiful yeah. you are. So I had to find creative ways to undermine that. Yeah. I, well, I mean, look. What do you think I kept having a go at Somali? You know, this is what I was talking about. No emotional depth because her whole head's just contained solely with how attractive she is. Are you speaking about Somali, the character that we created together, or Emily Radzikowski, the human being that was created by uh, Mr. and Mrs. Radzikowski, presumably? With her acting skills? Potato, potato, my friend. Oh. Now, if you don't know, potato, potato is an old Hollywood saying, meaning... Uh, sort of, you say one thing, I say another, but it's the same thing. Let's call the whole thing off. Potato. Tomato. No. Oh Chocolate strawberry. This is why we struggle with the filmmaking process. This is why process, we work well together, know? though, I think, because we, we, do, we finish each other's we're sentences. We're offbeat. We're not doing well getting on the same frequency or rhythm or tempo. Potato. This was a great scene to shoot. We decided to go to my favorite spot where, um, and just between you and I, I have personally buried a few bodies overlooking the <laughs> San Fernando not Valley. Just between you and I. It absolutely is. This is a very special place to me. It's where I go to think, 
bury my enemies. Didn't you uh, shoot one of your music videos on this exact Certainly did. location? And I'm not going to name who it was for, but let's just say it rhymes with... I can't even think of a way to rhyme Rihanna without saying it. Well, so let's just say it was her music video and be done with the matter. I saw the rushes for that music video. It's, uh, it's pretty easy to see why it didn't make it to, to broadcast. What do you mean? I just I saw some of the rushes and... Um, no, 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 the second bit. Why it didn't make it to broadcast. Yeah. Uh, Not sure why that keeps doing that, but um, there's a little bit of equipment which... <laughs> It's giving me a persistent error about once every six minutes. And um, I tell you what, we're locked in here for a little while and it's <laughs> it's probably going to test my patience slightly if uh, it's a constant six-minute hit of a button. I can imagine. See, how, um, how comfortable are you with the other piece of equipment that we have? Oh, pretty comfortable. Now this, this is where we got our last few cents of petrol vouchers out of the animators introducing my favourite character of this film, Paige Harrell. Yeah. Dick full of diamonds, mouth full of concrete himself. This was based on an amalgamation of both of our fathers. Uh, mine, of course, coming from a real estate background. Yours, of course, being an Italian mafioso uh, raised in the Bronx, New York City. And when you put those two things together, um, they're embodied in this sort of anti-hero of the film. A hero figure for the boys who are largely fatherless. And... He's the, he's the real North Star. He's the real North Star for these fuck boys. He is uh, real North fuck fuck star. He he is a fuck star actually. I got to tell you, he really threw his weight around um, on set. But he also had quite a hostile attitude towards me throughout the process. I think he might have been in character. He might not have, but he called me uh, an unprofessional schmuck. Oh, and um, sort of stuck with me. But I think he, he carried those sort of traits well into the, the role of Paige. And he's, that's the, that's he's a cocksure guy. That's what you got to know about this dude whose name I forget. The actor is always on. You know what I'm saying? He's he's a regular Daniel Day-Lewis. He turns up day one. He's already in character. So you shouldn't take anything he says. Some of the other actors in the, in the movie, sure. they'd come up to me between takes and they'd say, uh, Mr. Joseph, Mr. Joseph. I'd say, please, call me Mr. Joseph. They'd say, he's acting too well. He's acting too well. I'd say, the problem isn't that one of my performers is acting too well. No, I think the problem here lies with the fact that you're not acting well enough. You sure taught, told well, them. I think you I just, took them to film school. That's another thing yeah. we'd say on set. Hey, don't be a tool. I'll take you to film school. Yeah, and that would honestly you know, halt a lot of momentum when someone would be a fool and we'd have to drive them all the way across town. Often in rush hour traffic, Five, six hours. I'm not sure if that very close helicopter to the uh, audio studio is getting picked up on mic, but we just like to leave the door open when we do these things because uh, that's just how we do things. Yeah. Well, kind that's of a- the thing about Maximum, Joseph and I. We do things differently. You've heard of uh, Blue Sky Thinkers. We're Blue Sky Workers. Um, we work outside a lot is what he's trying to say. That's he's exactly trying to fancy it what up I'm trying to say. So this was a scene where we decided Our we needed- ceiling, the sky. Sometimes we finish each other's sentences. Oh, there's a little cat that's come to say hello with one eye. Um, no way that you can verify if that's true or not, but I can assure you a cat <laughs> is checking us out in studio with one eye. There's nothing wrong about that. What are we going to say about this scene, Megan? What are your memories of writing it? What are your memories of shooting it? Uh, I remember every male and gay woman as part of our crew being a little bit, 
distracted with a certain someone's costume choices, which I did not make myself. No. Um, but Zeiss Fron insisted on that bustling tank top that just shows him up, and everyone was getting very jealous. Yeah, it's and a thirsty. It was it was really incredible. I think because of the professional environment we try to instill on set. When you'd, you know, when you'd work with a lot of extras or a lot of people who thought they were at a party and you kept telling them what to do and they were saying, but we're at a party and yeah. you keep saying, no, you've got to do this. Yeah. They were, sort of, they get prickly. They, and there was a lot of talk about the over-sexualization of Zeiss Fron, uh, that he's more than just a hunk of meat. And um, I mean, it, it became a bit of an issue. There was a lot of back and forth, a lot of to and fro, uh, a lot of up and down, a lot of rough and smooth, a lot of black and white. A lot of tumble and dry, a lot of caps and beanies. Uh, there was a lot of water and oil. There was a lot of fire and ice about it on set that day. Uh, plus, Simon had her tits out the whole time. Yeah, that certainly didn't help matters either. We added the entire top half of that costume in CGI. Uh, what's quite cool about this scene, to think as you're watching it, is that we spliced it together. So obviously we shot this footage at a staged party where most of the people thought they were at a party. And then the the way we got the the, the sort of monologue, if you will, where Zaysfron explains I exactly will. what music is, uh, is we put him in a room for 10 hours and we said, you think about what you've done. After 10 hours he came out and we said, now describe DJing to us. And he just walked up to a microphone, he got it in one take. And that's a good thing because we wouldn't have wanted it anymore. That's correct. One is enough. One is the loneliest number and it's all we need. When Zeiss Fron's doing a take. Um, this okay. is more stock footage. This is more stock footage we had. Uh, the house music stock footage was the cheapest of all, of course, because no one wants to buy we it. We bought that in a bargain bin that just said stock footage. Just such a weird thing to find on a website. Yeah. It's like, I didn't even know digital stock could kind of have bargain bin, bin status. Yet here we are. You click through to a page, it had a big old yellow bin in it and a sign sticking out that said bargain bin. Come get your bargains. Things are starting to pick up now. What we uh, filmed mainly was Emily Radishkowski in front of a green screen for this. Um, yeah, the the actual party guys were in far too hostile of a mood to look like uh, they were enjoying themselves, which is what we really need from the scene. Yeah. I almost and, found and Andy it, Circus there playing the role of uh, Somali's legs in motion capture, yeah, he played, which was not a small feat of digital engineering, I can assure you. Not at all. He had to play uh, each leg in, you know, at a different time. So it wound up being twice the cost and twice the work for, for Mr. Circus. Um and we paid him twice the petrol vouchers for it. That's right. He was happy as Larry. He's got a very gas-guzzling car. <laughs> he does. He drives a, a Hummer. He's got a Pontiac and a Hummer as well. Yeah, he drives a cars. Hummer stretch limo. It's a Hummer with a Pontiac in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. It is That's one what of it is. the it's, ugliest. It's, it's Hummer in the front <laughs> and Hummer in the back, but Pontiac <laughs> between the two. That's what we're dealing with. And it is long as the night. And it, it requires the mileage of two cars. So there's two tanks in there. You've got to fill them both up. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, it turned out it wasn't necessary to get him because we had a lot of good footage of Somali's legs outside of Mr. Circus. So that's uh, something we've uploaded. We're going to try and earn the money back on that by putting it up on a stock footage website, uh, thinking how much we used it and how popular this film turned out to be. Obviously, it's going to become a sensation. So, And I think that it's time to pull back the curtain and reveal that in the year 2015, when we made this film, that was the current direction of filmmaking. A complicated series of transactions involving you going out, shooting stock footage for other people, uploading it, selling it, buying their stock footage and constructing a movie from it. It was... Um, Truly the golden age of Californian filmmaking. It, it, it felt like the uh, uh, the uh, derivatives market yeah. before the 08 crash. No one quite knew how any of this was supposed to but make money or working. work. It was working for everyone involved. The thing kept ticking over because we had faith in it. It was just... it was. Look, I'm going to go out and film a stream today. Cool, what's your movie about? My movie is about race cars. Why are you filming a stream? I'm going to sell that to a stock footage website and then buy with the money I make some race car footage. It was it was a functional economy. It, yeah, it was. And a lot of good movies got made that way. Every movie that's been made since the release, and I think two months preceding the release of We Are Your Friends, especially in California... 80% stock footage. They didn't shoot that footage. And that's why I think in the upcoming, um, at the Oscars every year, you're seeing more and more people going <laughs> on stage Are the Oscars to accept such a foreign concept to you, Maximum Joseph, that you forgot what they were called? They're not a foreign concept to me, okay? They're just something I'm not interested in. I don't, I don't care about awards. I'm not in it for the prestige. I'm in it for the love of filmmaking. I'm in it for the art. You're in it for the stock footage. You're in it for the petrol vouchers. You're that's, in it for the rhyming slogans. That's what guerrilla filmmaking is all about. Now, I would like to draw attention to the fact that the movie's still on, and right now uh, we're dealing with two men, Zeiss Fron and an white coloured from head to toe. His James call, Reed. not mine. All the costume departments, they were furious You look with like James. you're off. You've had enough. No, not Joseph. quite. I'm just grabbing a, a, a beer from the beer fridge. Oh, brewski, a cold one. Would you like a cold one? Uh, yeah, I'll grab a cold one. Thanks, matey. No worries. No walkers. Beautiful. What are we dealing with here? A pilsner? No. Oh, that's far more interesting than the film. thing is, we've seen this film a couple of times already uh, well, on account of the fact that we made it. A lot of people, when they ask about filmmaking, they say, so how long does it take? As long as, as, long as it takes to shoot it? And for a long time, I'd say, yes, that's exactly how long it takes. And then... Someone talking about the editing process. I just thought it sort of all happened over the weeks afterwards mm. in and of itself. You just kind of put the footage in a room and then you came back to the room later and it just kind of arranged itself. Similar to a, uh, how do you say, is it a flambe that you put in the oven for a little bit and it just sort of rises by itself? You don't have to... Oh, a loaf of bread. <laughs> tell it to rise or... or you know, show it how to rise or fill it with you air don't, or Pretty much, you don't need to hire a so-called professional to get in the oven and f- make the dough rise its fucking self. Yeah. Which it turns out is exactly what you got to do with the... Ah, oh, and the petrol vouchers involved with getting that process Hefty. across the line. I mean, everyone was getting around on the cheap, but I tell you what, they were not earning on arrival. Not at all. Now, this young man happens to be my son. This is Josh Oppenheimer. Um, 
he was a little bit sensitive about us, including a joke about him dressing like Hillary Clinton because when he was in junior high, his uh, nickname and kind of a cajoling and bullying sort of a way was Hillary Clinton. Yeah. That was based on the fact that um, his boyfriend in junior high was the president of the school council. So he got called Hillary Clinton, as you can well imagine. Well, he sort of, I remember um, speaking to him about it and it did sound obviously not the way he told it. He was the, he was the good guy, but um he sort of brought it upon himself, I think. I mean, he would he would go to school dressed as Hillary Clinton every every day for a term. That's correct. And he insisted on everyone calling him Hillary Clinton. So there there was to then there's decide. A few layers. There's a few layers. It's just to such what a happened. specific thing to demand. Mm. You know, you can imagine how people would get used to that. Ah, oh, day at the beach. This was a fun day to shoot. We all just got fucking ripped and went to the surf. Yeah, and then we thought, oh. Oh, two weeks to the hand-in date. We should probably film some of this. So we got Skrill and we got Zace Fron in front of a camera and uh, just said go, basically. That's right. I scrolled a couple of notes down on a napkin. You punched them up, added some lines of dialogue, and there we were. Uh, I don't know if there's much more to tell you than that, to be honest. The lighting was just sensational. We got there right on golden hour. I thought you said dialogue. So I sort of got a... that was all improvised. I just that's, got a big old bit of wood, just an ugly bit of wood. Right. And you coloured it, didn't you? Yeah, I coloured it in. Uh, we also actually, sadly, that day in, in memoriam of, we lost one of our soundies. Uh, they were wading out into the ocean, sort of looking back and laughing. I think they're on quite a lot of PCP, mm. which uh, he insisted he was taking for research purposes. But we assured him, you don't need to take PCP to research the film. We've already done that. Uh, but he pretty much wandered out to... Of, uh, you know, passed a few of the breakers and got caught in a huge rip. Mm. And um, he's either alive or dead, but he's certainly not on speaking terms with any of us. Some say he's off recording the sound for movies on the coast of Australia. Have you ever heard of such a place? Yeah, I have. So, in storytelling terms, we're sort of staring down the barrel of nothing still at this point. We have established that Zaysfron likes to DJ. We've established that... Uh, James Reed from The Feelers likes to sink piss. And we've established that Somali is a very good-looking woman. Uh, and at that point, we were sort of like, well... We've done it all, haven't we? Surely that's a film. And that's when Jeff walked in and said, <laughs> Lady and gentlemen, we need to have words. To, to, to his credit, that is the coolest thing, the coolest entry that Jeff made in, in our entire time working with no him. No calendar involved that day, no wristwatch. Lady and gentlemen, we need to talk. You know, balls to the wall business guy. Yeah, absolutely. That guy. That. Do you know what that guy wanted? Results. Do you know what that guy wanted? <laughs> a film handed in that he had paid for. And uh, bless him. And he really put the fire his, under. That's us. his job. That's he's, his prerogative. He's a suit. You know, he's got to take care of the business end of things. He's mm. not about the process. Mm. Um, and I feel like if we'd learned that earlier, one thing about the, Jeff, circumcised. That is one thing about Jeff. And I feel like if we'd we'd found out earlier in the process, he. He, he didn't want to be a part of that process. He just wanted to see results. He's a results-driven guy. He wants a circumcised penis. He doesn't want to attend the brisk. You know, he's that kind of dude. I don't care how you do it. I just want the foreskin off. Is it called bris or brisk? <laughs> did you call it a brisk? I think I did call it a brisk, yeah. Is it not called a brisk? In my family, it was we always referred to it as a brisk. No. A brisk you make. A brisk you create. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, it's just another one of those confusing rhyming sayings <laughs> that you sort of carry around with you everywhere you go. One which may have been explored by these uh, two jokers in New Zealand who 
Apparently, we're watching this film once or twice for a, um, a rather, podcast. I'd rather not get into Jesus that. Jesus Christ. That the whole next situation. person who I hear say the words podcast out loud to me in this fucking town, I'm going to have their head on a pike. Yeah, well, I'm going to have their guts for garters. Well, so I'm going to rip us, off their arms and beat them to death with them. They'll just be a torso is what we're trying to say. That's all they'll be. Uh, but more or less, Jeff, after sort of you know doing his great entrance and going off his rag at us, uh, we wound up learning that we have to um, we have to write another two thirds of a movie, which was a huge undertaking. A big ask. Um, and thankfully, can I, t- I, can I tell you something as well? The pressure was really on us, um, and I'll tell you why. We weren't getting paid in petrol vouchers; we were getting paid in millions of dollars to make a movie. And there's nothing that'll put the shits up you like a seven-digit check from a studio. <laughs> Demanding a feature film at the end of the process where you've just been skiving off going to the beach and clubs in LA. It's amazing. You know, as soon as you get the money, for how good you feel and how much you enjoy it, as the deadline looms nearer and the amount of money goes down, it sort of, you, you know, it becomes worse and worse, really, doesn't it? You sort of feel guilty That's all of a sudden. That's not what I expected. That is something in filmmaking I didn't expect. Sure yeah. as my name is Megan Oppenheimer, co-writer of We Are Your Friends, I did not expect for there to be a situation wherein my mood goes down as I spend more money. What I was expecting is we spend more money, we get happier. That's how I thought the relationship worked. Especially when you're spending your money on scratchies. Um, Which we did a lot. Yeah, Scratches for the Uninitiated is a form of lottery uh, whereby you get a ticket that's got some panels on it and you scratch this crazy grey stuff off and it shows you if you've got three Liberty Bells or not. And if you do, you win. And if you, and don't, if you don't, which you is don't. what usually happens, um, you've just paid two bucks yeah. for nothing. Turns out the odds are really against you on those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, what even are the odds? I'll tell you what I found infuriating. When we were at our lowest ebb financially and in terms of budget constraints, the fact that Zeiss Front would insist on us filming him putting huge amounts Mm. of cash in a shoebox, not even for the film. He just said, I need you to film this. Yeah, He Uh, was getting um, some Baywatch. It's what we call hook money. So in the film industry, when you're trying to lure a star to agree to a project, you really want them. You just start sending them cash in the mail. Lots of cash. Wads of cash. It's called hook money because you're trying to hook them into the project. And uh, Zay he was receiving a yeah, lot of Zay's from was really, you know, flaunting that. And that's that's fair enough. You know, if you got it, flaunt it. That's what they say. But the idea we, that, we never said that on set though, because it doesn't rhyme. No, we had to. We had to. We said if you got it, hot it. That's what a we would A lot say. of people would correct us, but we'd say, don't correct us. Who's in charge here? Megan Oppenheimer and Maximum Joseph. That's us two. Anyway, the, the joke's on Zaysfron because we uh, wound up using his private footage for the for the movie anyway. Um, and that's what you just saw there. Now, if you're mapping a graph of a plot in a film, you know, you want to, you want to, you want to, you want to, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. what you want to mm-hmm. do. Here, mm-hmm. Okay, X mm-hmm. one. Here mm-hmm. we go. The intro. Mm-hmm. You want to start, mm-hmm. you want to start low. Okay, we did that. Then you want to get on a steep incline, add some story. Absolutely. Then come down quite a bit at the end of the first act, which in this film has happened about now. Okay. So 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 we're adding things, we're adding we got characters, uh, plot, <laughs> struggles, <laughs> things that characters want. We got DJs wanting to make music. They don't need names, don't worry about that. Uh, we got dance explanations of genres. And then we're coming, we're coming, we're coming down, 
and and here we are at the end of Act One uh, with Zace Fron taking a woman from behind in a dive bar. That's yeah. how I like to end an act in a film. It's called an act break. And yeah, it, it was a, it was exactly that. So everyone, well, we're caught on. Did I ever set. tell you about how I learned how to make films? I did a bunch of coke, and then I watched at ten times normal speed on YouTube a series of film tutorials. <laughs> Because I thought that the best way to get the information in a timely manner was to get it at 10 times normal speed. But then I thought to myself, this is these videos are designed for a brain going at its maximum. So I need to increase that. And the way that I'll do that is a lot of cocaine. I got to say that, that uh, as someone who attended film school and spent a lot of money doing it, um, it, doesn't hear, it doesn't feel good to hear that, you know, because... I felt when we were on set that I was leaning on you quite heavily as someone who who knew what they were doing and had a really firm handle on the situation, which is very unusual given you were just credited as a writer. But to think of the amount of time and you know financial investment I put into learning how to make films, you just took a bunch of cocaine and watched tutorials at 10 times speed. I mean, it sounds so much more efficient in terms of time as well. And do you know why it sounds more efficient? It is. Yeah, I guess. You can do a lot of things um, better on cocaine, I think. Not everything, mind you, but a lot of things. But do you know what is not better on cocaine? Cocaine. Highly addictive. Very Moorish. And a bit expensive. Don't do it. I'm serious. Don't do it after you've already taken it. Wait, that's right. Once you're on the cocaine, stop doing it. <laughs> you don't want to top up every now and then. That's fine. But just don't do more cocaine when you're on the cocaine. Now... This was another party scene, but we went for a slightly different vibe because we were using the same extras as before, and they had sniffed what we were up to. So we had to adjust the tone of the party from a very happy, jovial affair, which we tricked them into the first time, to a more somber, I'm not sure if this is a slave labor, if we should be getting the unions involved type of situation, which is the morose overtones, which you can feel permeating off the screen. Yeah, absolutely. We went around the university, we rounded up the same people, we said, guys, we know we promised you everything at our last party, we're sorry we didn't execute, we're throwing another one, it's a wine and cheese affair. Come it's on over. It's our apology. And they said, it's a, been... way, it's a way for us to say sorry to you. It's really important that you ignore all the cinema cameras that are around. And they said, Megan Oppenheimer and Maximum Joseph, the two people for whom I understand, uh, you know, will be a film made. It really feels like you're trying to put us in this film. And we said, absolutely not. We're trying to apologize in the form of a wine and cheese party. Have you never been apologized to before, extras? And they said, yes. But they also said, the fact that you're calling us extras suggests that we are, in fact, being used as extras on a film and not party guys at a party. To which I replied, where is your self-esteem? Extra is when you're even more than the thing. Yeah. You are extra. You're all extras to me and you always will and be. Miraculously, that persuaded all of them simultaneously to uh, to come back to the, the party. And it was after I regaled them with a heartwarming tale of how my father would constantly call me an extra. That's how I was raised. Not a heartwarming tale. It is a heartwarming tale because what he was saying is that I was so much that I was I was extra. He was calling you a burden, Megan. We shot this scene at night because we had one day to hand in the film. We were against the clock. We were against the calendar. Things were getting very tense indeed. We'd run out of cash, petrol vouchers, and most importantly, cocaine. 
So we took a film crew out at night in the dying hours of March 31st, just before... Uh, April you know, 1st. April 1st, if I remember rightly. Which I think you do. And uh, we shot this scene against the twinkling lights of, the, of, of, of LA. Yeah. Beneath us. And it actually turned out pretty good, I think. Yeah. If you get past the fact that nearly all of it is out of focus... Just in terms of um, coherence. Does anyone notice, though? Does anyone even notice that stuff? I have found, yes. And the conversations I've had with my sort of, I call them peers. Um, they don't really call me a peer. Uh, Steven Spielberg, you know, when I talk to them about filmmaking, they say that is a, a, that is tantamount to making a good film, is trusting the audience is intelligent and that they'll try and piece together a story from whatever you give them. To which I said, if, if they're just going to try and do the work for us, why do we have to do the work? And that one left Spielberg stumped, I'll tell you. Hard man to stump. Mm. Tell you one decision we made correctly in the film project that was We Are Your Friends, and that was hiring uh, to do our music. The same man who uh, it came second to the guy who did get selected to do the soundtrack for Train Spotting. Yeah. Second place. And you know what they say about second place? First place loser. And we love people in first place. That's why this film. We want to be adjacent to that. We want to be as close as possible to first place as we can get. You can't always afford first place, but if you can't afford first place, get a first place loser. And that is second place. And I feel like he spent most of the time bitching about how he didn't get the train spotting job and really phoned it in. He just had his Spotify Discover on shuffle. And then it every third song, fine, yeah. Though, to be honest, I mean, we did get exactly what we needed, but it still feels like, you know, for what he was getting paid in petrol vouchers, we didn't quite get our money's worth on that one. He did fly to work every day, so I mean, the petrol vouchers were really flowing thick and fast. Absolutely, they don't get you far when you're making round robin trips betwixt LAX and Scotland. Tell you that for free. This we shot first. This was the first scene that we laid down, uh, as they call it, in the biz, which I'm a part of, myself, Megan Oppenheimer. Uh, this is at a music festival in Los Angeles, which we created. We spent quite a tremendous percentage of the budget putting this on, um, the majority of which was actually installing the portaloos, which you can see uh, at, at we the back there. didn't want a repeat of what happened on the, the last music video that we worked on together, um, which obviously... <laughs> We now, can't go into the details. No, of exactly. we absolutely will go into the details. Now we got how many? Okay, I'll ask you this question: yeah. How many for five hundred people? How many portaloos do you think? This is for the listener at home. How many, how many porta potties does that sound like to you? For five hundred people, because if you think the answer is anything less than five, it turns out you'll be wrong. Yeah, here's what happened: Eminem, Marshall Mathers himself, uh, gets Joseph Maximum. <laughs> And myself. I was going by a different name then. Yeah. Yeah, you were. To come in and uh, do the music video for 8 Mile. And we said, we've got a great vision for this. We know exactly what it needs. Um, he already had plans for the movie. So, it, it, you know, it was kind of just going to play itself out. Here's some footage. It's essentially stock footage. My understanding is you've got experience with that. I just need you to kind of fill in gaps with me. Um, tell me what to do, tell me where to go, what kind of backdrop you want for the rest of this to pad it in. We were like, fantastic. So we get a whole lot of extras. Also, we load them all in there. And what do you know? Half a thousand people, five porta potties 
The place is stinking of human excretion in record time. And I, I, I mean, I still have nightmares about that shoot. As well you should. Um, we insisted on making all of the catering uh, incredibly spicy food, which I thought would just sort of add to the electric atmosphere of doing an Eminem music video. But what it, uh, it turned out to be was a disaster situation, particularly in light of the fact that we didn't pay as much as maybe we should have for the food. And I tell you what, some of that beef and fish had turned. <laughs> I thought spice was the way you get around that. You know, it kills bacteria. <laughs> Embarrassingly for us, it, it, it turned out that the guy we were dealing with wasn't even Eminem. It turns out that the video for Lose Yourself was made way back when the song was released. What we had done was, you know, uh, listened to and taken money from a white skinhead who wanted a video of a white skinhead rave. Uh, but what we wound up getting was a lot of footage of a lot of white supremacists shitting themselves. Yeah. And after I mean, can eating, we really getting violent food poisoning? Can we be blamed? Can we, can, listener, to this audio commentary of "We Are Your Friends" with myself, Megan Oppenheimer, co-writer of "We Are Your Friends," joined by Maximum Joseph, co-writer and director. myself. Can I ask you, in all seriousness, can we be blamed? Can the blame be laid at our feet for assuming when a when a, a white man with a bald head comes up to us and asks us to make a music video that it's Eminem? Am I familiar with hip hop music? No, I'm not. But I am. A, I am a man of the cultural zeitgeist. I know that Marshall Mathers is a man who exists in the world. He specifically said he he wanted to lose himself. I put two and two together. I then put a very very good value Indian catering service together with five hundred and. And by good value, heads. Megan means cheap. This thing was so cheap. We pocketed a lot of cash. Let me tell you how cheap it was. 500 people, how much money? How much money do you think it costs to, to provide catering for 500 people? Uh, if I had to guess, I'd say, look, at, at least you're looking at $10 a head if we're doing dinner. So uh, sort of $5,000. Divide it by two. $2,500. Divide that by two. $1,250. Divide that by two. $675. Divide that by two. $3. <laughs> Hundred and eighty-seven fifty. Divide that by two. Uh, it's not a lot. It's about one hundred and sixty-two dollars fifty. Bucks. Hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, I was really hoping if we kept dividing by two, we'd get there, but it didn't quite work out. No, one hundred and fifty dollars for five hundred people. <laughs> so we're dealing with about oh, I want to say thirty-five cents a person. We couldn't believe our ears. We said, "How much is it going to cost for you to provide food and catering for all these people?" <laughs> Is it for you today, this day, $150? And we said, absolutely, you said yes. Hired. Any more questions? Hired. And I mean, I tell you what, it was kind of like we got tricked twice. <laughs> In retrospect, oh, now this scene was a joy to film. <laughs> we decided, because we had just been living it up on the first day of shooting in Las Vegas at a music festival that we put on with ample portaloos. We decided we'll take the morning off, we'll take it nice and easy, we'll hire ourselves a whole floor of a hotel. And I want to get presidential suites for the cast and crew. I want, like, the works. I want everything. And the first thing we asked Zeiss Fron and Somali when they arrived on set was, have you guys improvised before? They, they said, no. We said, we said perfect. That's exactly what we're looking for. Eat that fucking food right now. And they said, I don't know about that food. We said, trust us. We provided catering for up to 500 people before. At the low, low price of $150. <laughs> we know what we're doing. 
Um, so they did, and I'll tell you what, mixed reviews on that scene after yeah. the film came out. Mixed reviews is how I would describe it. And uh, we actually got a review. We, we've got a catering company on Yelp and Zomato, uh, TripAdvisor. Uh, and in addition to, to the mixed reviews on the scene, we got some pretty scathing reviews from uh, Zeiss Front and Somali on the on the on the catering. Um, obviously, we can't tell you the the name of the catering company or their user handles on Yelp or Zomato, lest they be bombarded with. Do you make friend requests on Yelp? Well, I wouldn't know anymore. I've stayed off there after all that negative feedback. But let's just say the company rhymes with asked. Mood, aidering. That's right. Cast crude bakery. It's for crude casts and it's baked goods and curries. Now this is a classic red herring. What we inserted here because I had just watched a delightful BBC remake of the classic Sherlock Holmes. I was watching a lot of murder mysteries at the time. Mm. Uh, is what you do is you put something in to trick the audience and then and then you reveal that you've tricked the audience. So what we did is we threw a text message at them um, which said, come over, big fight. Now, this is after Zeisfron and Somali in the film have performed coitus upon Well, we wanted to leave a question mark well, on that. <laughs> so we, yes, we did. You're absolutely right. You Matt. never actually see the act. No, and that was intentional. But for some people, they what some people notice, which we didn't ask, we didn't intend to happen, is they think that they've had sex. What other people think is they haven't had sex. But either way, what we've done is created tension. Tension. And that's exactly what that twist that you were referring to just before. That's what we were playing you into chuck a with red that. Hearing it, that. So you throw them a text, and then you reveal immediately that the red hearing's wrong. Now it turns out, in retrospect, I found out from reading a few of the reviews, you want to string a red hearing along for a little bit longer than instantly revealing it's a red hearing, as it turns out. So if you insert something in the film that's going to be revealed to be a little trick on the audience, sometimes you want to string them along a little longer than 30 seconds. But yeah. this is the beauty of filmmaking. We live, we learn, we spend petrol vouchers, we, we forge signatures. Wrap this thing up, you know. We 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 have turned at this point in the writing process, we'd turned the script in five times to say it was finished. And Jeff had said, No, it's not. And we would say, uh, yes, Jeff, it is. We're finished writing on it. I miss Jeff. And Jeff would say, what would Jeff say? Jeff would say, it's not done till we've got sun, which was his way of saying, unless the reviews are glowing, uh, I'm not accepting this film. Again, I feel like you've reappropriated or misappropriated one of Jeff's sayings there. He didn't say, it's not done till we've got sun. He said, it's not done till I fucking say it's done. Now lock yourselves in that room and finish the script. It doesn't rhyme at all. Didn't seem relevant to Jeff at the time. Sure didn't. Should have. Did you just cheers Jeff? Is it what that was? I always cheers Jeff. Even when he's not in the room. Just a little cheers, Jeff. Jeff, the fresh maker. Oh, I tell you what, Zeiss Fron's running form was just so eye-capturing. We kept watching him doing laps around because he was getting ready for Baywatch while he was shooting. And we were like, God damn, someone pick up a camera and film this yeah. boy. Because it do, is stunning to watch. Before the running scenes, we'd, we'd hire a psychologist who we'd get Zeisfron to work with. And, and they'd record, or not not knowingly for Zeisfron, but they'd have a two-hour conversation about his darkest fears, um, just sort of everything that he, he felt vulnerable about. And then what we'd do is at the start of the scene, we'd play the recording back on a, on a giant Bluetooth speaker and we'd hire Usain Bolt at no small cost to run behind Zeisfron holding the speaker aloft. Zeisfron, of course, not knowing it was Usain Bolt, he was dressed as the Grim Reaper. 
and we'd put quite a lot of PCP in his water. But pretty much what you see, the speed at which he's running, that's not a coincidence. He was really hoofing it. No special effects, no Andy Circus legs used in that particular shoot. That was real fear that we were harnessing and from we, the power yeah. of acting and PCP. Yeah. And and the power of psychologists, Usain Bolt, there were a lot of moving parts. The that power was, of um, We shot those scenes death. the days before we found out what you could do with CGI and found out about Andy Circus. So we, were, we we hired Andy Circus after we'd shot those Zeisfron running scenes. I would like to, for a moment, dive into where we are in the film, a moment of real drama and high finance, which is something I was very set on getting into this script. Now, we've got Tanya Romero, a woman at the end of her tether. She has been trying to negotiate with the bank through an intermediary called Gold Star Realty Solutions, stick full of diamonds, mouth full of concrete. It has not gone well. Why? Because Gold Star Realty Solutions is a bit of a sham. It's a, it's a giant sham. And we base that on the company that my, my father made his fortunes with, um, which it turned out was, he called it a triangle scheme. Uh, but it was pyramid selling is what it was, if, he, you, he if was you're going to listen to the FBI. He was selling pyramids to anyone who would lend them a couple of minutes, just a chat, a brief chat is all he needed just to get his foot in the door and then he'd say, listen, I've got a shape for you. You don't look like a square to me. You look like a cool dude. And you know what cool dudes like buying? Fucking pyramids. And then usually the person would say, sir, can you please exit my property? Or alternatively... I'm pretty sure that's a triangle. He would say, this isn't a triangle, friend. Who knows more about triangles? Than me, the Pyramid Pete. His name was Pete. Anyway, I'd rather not dredge all that up right now. I feel like if we just telescoped that out a little bit, it'd be more comfortable with you. Then you've got the floor doing a bit of the heavy lifting. Oh, I really don't mind. Are you, are you good? For those of you listening along wondering what exactly my good friend Megan Oppenheimer, co-writer of the film We Are Your Friends, is referencing. Thank you. I'm having such a good time here with Maximum Joseph, co-writer and director of We Are Your Friends. That's who I am. This is a director's commentary where we talk about the film ostensibly. (laughs) Ostensibly. Ah... What's going on? With- I mean, it's his birthday because you've got to have a birthday in every film. Very important. It's like how you can't say the word Macbeth in a, in a theatre. You've got to have a birthday in every movie. Every movie you ever see, there will be at least the opportunity for someone to be having a birthday who's like an extra. Is that an hour? That's, a, that's one hour that the film's been be running now. That. Okay, we're just going to take a quick um, photo if you look. Yeah, I need to worry about that. Oh, we'll keep, keep going. That's the beauty of it. So this person is going down a treat, probably not as well as James Reed's several whiskeys that he's consumed already this evening while he's been out for his birthday dinner with Somali. It has not gone well. We didn't know how to write a conflict relationship scene. It's so we hard thought, to do. To create fake conflict? Oh, to, not Chuck impossible. it in the too hard basket, mate, if you ask me. So sure as my name is Megan Oppenheimer, co-writer of We Are Your Friends, I said, I've got an idea. That's exactly what you said. I said, what we'll do is we will simply insinuate there's been a fight, which we won't need to script, and we will just see unfold on screen the aftermath. And that's exactly what we did, and I think we got away with it. Well, yeah, I thought so too. But again, if you read the reviews, people 
They didn't buy it? What did, Not just, everyone. You know what, you know what you shit, do you want to know what shits me about critics? Ah, oh, here we go. They'll say anything to sell newspapers, won't yeah, they? They'll just say yes, their entire they opinion. They yeah, won't hold back. It doesn't matter how much cash you send them, how many petrol vouchers you put in, in the, in the, underneath the wind, windshield wipers on their car. Oh, I hear you, Maximum. You know? I hear you. And I don't know what to tell you, Megan, but I find it infuriating. One moment, <laughs> can I just say this, Megan? I think one person, one person at a time, uh, keeping the keeping the people updated. So phone down for you. You tell oh, us what's I happening on screen. Oh, I thought you'd already keep the people updated. I apologize. No, so I'll give you. What we decided you to do after up. the birthday party scene is we went. You know what? Let's go to a strip club. It was actually Zeus Fron's idea, and I hate to throw one of our cast members under the bus, but I tell you what, there's two things that guy likes. Strip clubs and pretending he likes strip clubs because there were there was a lot of chatter flying around on set and every time the chatter would start he would say oh I feel like going to a strip club to look at boobies yeah I'd say it out loud so everyone on set could hear it was like he was insecure about being perceived as cool he'd say I want to go look at boobies at a strip club those are the two things I like boobies for me please Bo- booby one and booby two we'd say those aren't individual things you can just call them boobies like you were Zach. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. We were worried that this would look like a cheap storytelling tool to have Zeiss Front like the ignoramus he is upload a photo of him and the woman who he's having an illicit affair with as his profile, sort of as her profile photo when she calls. Uh, and we were right to do that. Again, we got we got roasted for that. We got told off. Um, it's a weird thing to to describe. You know, the the job of a critic is not necessarily to tell off the filmmaker with that. Certainly got me very hot under the collar. It, you know, eventually that's what in it felt like. In a sexy way. Oh, really? That turned you on? Absolutely. Wow. I'm always, that's what I love about our friendship is we finish each other's sentences. And also I've always been fascinated by what arouses you, but that's entirely separate to what makes our friendship great. If anything, that's what threatens to derail the friendship. <laughs> You've really taken a full journey in two sentences on your relationship between my sexual fetishes, huh? Yeah, really. Your relationship have. to my sexual fetishes. Fetishes? Mm. That feels like the plural of that word, doesn't it? Multiple fish, fetish, fetish, fetishes? Fetish? Fetish. He, she, he, fetish. she, we fetish. You fetish, I fetish. He, she fetishes. One he, fetish, two fetishes. <laughs> a, a grip of fetishes. A, a, uh, a clutch of fetishes. And it feels like the plural should be fetish, like fish. A bunch of fetish. Yeah, well, that was one of your sayings. You'd say, indulge your fetish, eat three fish. <laughs> I did say that all the time. Well, that's not a fetish. That's a that's a it's you know dietary a concern. It's a taste you've got. You'd like the taste. I don't know, actually. Can you eat too many fish? Ah, oh, now, I'm so glad you brought this up. I don't up. mean ecologically. I mean in terms of diet, diet. Oh, look, absolutely. There is such a thing as too much fish. You know what tuna's got a lot of in it? Mercury. And is mercury good? No, it's bad. <laughs> Mercury is very bad for you. And tuna, they love it. They eat it up. Did tuna have a diet of metal? Uh, well, that particular one, they didn't really ask for it. But the thing is, when we keep throwing things in the ocean, those fish will keep eating it. They'll eat anything because they have to. You'd think if they wouldn't join the Mercury, they'd write a letter saying, change the menu. That's, that's what you would assume, unless you remember that fish have neither communicative they abilities, don't, don't nor cognition, laminators. nor fingers. That's your problem. They, it's also why they don't masturbate. They always write it, but then the paper gets wet. Yeah. 
If we dropped, How a, much if we dropped a laminator in the ocean, we yeah. could take care of this problem. I tried doing that once. Then the fish could finally communicate with no, us. No, I'll tell you what happened when I dropped the laminator in there. I electrocuted a lot of fish. Did you eat them? Short-circuited, and they just f- floated to the cir- surface, belly up. The, they floated to the circus surface. Did Andy you? Circus was there um, in the boat with me at the time, and he just scooped them up and ate them whole like golem. Actually, no, I remember this story. If I remember correctly, you sold all that fish to a, to a sushi restaurant in the valley, didn't you? Uh, half. It was half and half Andy Circus and sushi restaurant in the valley. But the thing is about electrocuted fish, a lot of people have qualms about it. It's good to eat. It's good to go. And yeah. it's kind of pre-cooked in a way. Yeah, it is. You don't need to cook that at all. Sushimi. Electric sushi. None of you asked the chefs we've worked with. That's also the um, name of a club which uh, Maximum Joseph and I co-opened at the conclusion of this film, Electric Sushimi, which was briefly lived, but we had a good time doing it. We had a really good time doing it. Let me lay on you guys what we would play. A lot of funk. Okay, funk from all countries. Mm. Um, mm. We played a lot of Japanese hip hop. Mm. Mm. I I think where we went wrong was the capacity of the establishment, which was seven people at a time, which, as it turns out, did not become it commercially also viable. Created a lot of licensing problems, mm. uh, fire exits. You know, health and safety were climbing up our arsehole pretty much. We were, you know, there was so much red tape around it. So, have you been back there recently? Yeah, the new owners. Yeah. Reopened it. What's it called again now? They renamed it? It's called Janitor's Closet. Janitor's Closet. And they run it pretty much, you know, it does what it says on the tin. There's a lot of cleaning equipment in there. Still in the middle of the same high school. Hey, what, 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 are, you, what are you good for? You want some uh, ammonium? All yours. We've got that. We'll get you a nice shot glass of I that. tell you, that's how you'd think the janitors are treating you, but they don't even treat you like customers. They oh. say stuff like, get out of my closet. Love it. And stop drinking all that ammonium. True to form. That's I like to get wrapped up in the fantasy. It's very hipster. It's very detailed. It's good. Hey, now, this bit of the film was fun, wasn't it? This is when uh, the boys have gained some real estate for themselves, a little piece of the kingdom And to, to let them know what that felt like, we bought we bought this house on their behalf. Uh, and we said, throw a big party. Um, we pretty much can't get anyone around anymore for whatever reason. <laughs> Just ask your friends. Burned a lot of bridges, dudes. And they said, sure thing. Is that it? And we said, yeah, yeah. Just don't let them know that they're going to be filmed. And before you knew it, this place was crawling with, uh, you know, Attractive young Los Angeles types. They were Los Angeles too. This oh, party yeah. got out of hand, but boy, was it yeah. fun. Look, we're not legally in a position to say this, but I feel like... Um, but let me say this. We invited six midgets and only four midgets left the party alive. You do the math. Sorry. Megan. Little, little people. Thank you. Yeah, we unfortunately uh, wound up killing four little people. <laughs> two. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> two uh, two died at the party and then four threatened to, to blab, so we had to kill... Another half of those? Four. So the two that we killed at the party... We didn't kill them, half, they just died incidentally. And then, and then half of the ones that threatened to blab, but half we let live. Is that... Your recollection no. of how this went down? Six little people came Six to the party. Six little people came to Two the party. Two of them died at the party. Two died. And then the four others threatened to blab, so yep. we had to equalize them. Yeah, but I, as I mentioned earlier, four little people were fine. Were, no, wait. Yeah, four. Wait. Yeah, you're right. 
We didn't kill any more little people. They were murdered. This is why Maximum Joseph and I have such a good working relationship. Because we finish each other's sentences. No, not at all. Because we've got a complementary set of skills and recollections about parties that we both were at. I've always thought that's what makes us good friends. I never really thought that would make us good colleagues, but it turns out it does both. This was a rough fucking morning. I'll tell you now, what. Now, this was filmed on a GoPro, which I had the presence of mind to install as the party was um, sort of experiencing its dying breath. I did the last two lines of cocaine we had left, ran around the house installing GoPros in every which angle you could possibly imagine, hit record on all of them. And then uh, passed out, almost drowned in the pool because I had my feet in there when I fell asleep. And um, luckily, the GoPros really came through for us because when the dudes woke up in the morning, uh, we managed to capture their responses. Not great actors, but very good at being themselves hung over after an actual party. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing unfold right now. Sadly, the actor playing Skrill did, I mean... Can yeah. I? He passed away. Well, he's no longer with us. Yeah, we didn't let the other actors know. We thought it would impact their um sort of their ability to focus, their ability to remain professional, and whether or not that's disrespectful to their craft, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, we told them that he was just uh, going method for a few hours and just join him, guys. Just jump yeah. in the pool. The water's fine. We got a lot of GoPros going. They've got limited batteries, so let's let's just. Let's roll. Let's, let's keep, keep rolling going. on let's this. Keep let's going. keep rolling on this. Keep rolling and on we, this. All of this real footage, all shot on GoPros. The uh, the four little people who survived the party, we gave them, well, you gave them, more specifically Megan, the GoPro, so they're all running around capturing this footage. Yeah, and great angles. That's why we've got a lot of crouching happening from our main actors as well. Um, sort of some height issues when you've got the cameras running at that angle. I tell you what, though, uh, this next scene was emotionally challenging for me because I've been to a funeral before and we were shooting a funeral and I didn't like that. Yeah. I don't like pretend. No, and it was I think it was also the lying. You know, we had Zace from Jarhead and um the the young actor who's I forget his name, it's not a Johnny Depp? No, no, no. Well that was the character he was playing, but I've got no idea what I didn't know his name the whole time we were filming. Wasn't that embarrassing too? Yeah it was the but the amount we, of times that you, it was a lot of brew bro brew bran uh bruh yeah, uh, Brune, dude. Uh, B. Yeah, uh, you would always insist burn. on using variations of B, which yeah. I think sort of gave the, gave up the goat. Mm. But um, you know, you can say these guys aren't good actors, but for what it's worth, they believed that that was a false funeral, and uh, I thought they played it pretty straight, pretty well. And I think that just speaks volumes about us as filmmakers. And I tell you what, sure as my name is Megan Oppenheimer, co-writer of We Are Your Friends, I may have overstepped the bounds. Can I ask you a question, Megan? Sure. Did you change your name? By, there have been rumors going around. Did you change your name by deed poll from Megan Oppenheimer to Megan Oppenheimer, co-writer of We Are Your Friends? Absolutely not. It's a title, not a name. But it is one that I insist upon reminding people as the full version of my name now that I changed it from Deadpool at Deadpool with, you know, regard to my old name. It's my new name. The answer is yes. Thank you for your honesty. Ah, oh, boy. This was, this scene, our boys are at their lowest ebb. They're next to an empty pool, which is a metaphor for the emptiness of life when a friend departs you. Uh, in this case, because of a tragic um, death at a party. So the tensions are frayed, relationships are strained, they're at each other's throats, and this is 
a scene that I wrote based on an experience I had as a child where at tragically a birthday party uh, of a friend of mine who was turning nine years old, one of the attendees died at the birthday party. And then we all started blaming each other. Until the cops showed up and blamed the parents. Whose fault it legally was. Undoubtedly. Pretty dark chapter in my life, but let me say this before we move on. That was just also for the legal buffs out there. That was the last recorded version. That was before the PC Brigade made Catch the Mongoose illegal everywhere. The party game Catch the Mongoose where parents would release a mongoose at a child's birthday party mm. and uh, the, the birthday but girl I mean, or boy would is, get the first shot at catching it. This is it. what law is all about. you got to test the waters. you got to figure stuff out. you got to experiment so that we know what to make illegal in the future. Mongoose, don't mix with kids. Now we know. We didn't know that before. We yeah. tried it. It turns out it doesn't. So I, I say it was the last as though there was a, a... It's just a shame that legal culpability has to be added to what is essentially a social experiment. You know, it's, just, it's, a, it's a nanny state. It's not even a social experiment. It's just a personal family event for you know, those who attend. Hey, guess what kids do every now and then? They, they, sometimes they pass away. Yeah. It's a part of life. Guess what mongoose do sometimes? They attack the person who's trying to touch them. What do you expect? It's a wild mongoose. This bit of the film is um, what I like to call Act 2. Okay. This is the meat and potatoes of a film because it's in the middle. The act, so Act 1 finished all that time ago mm. and act all that stuff was just intermission and now this is Act 2 starting? No, no. We're, in the, we're kind of almost towards the end of Act 2 now. I just haven't quite had an opportunity amongst all of our chat about parties and uh, tragedy to uh, just remind us of where we are in the film. Also, interesting okay. tidbit, James Reed from The Feelers there, he says, uh, oh, great, it's my favourite person. That's not true. Yeah. With the characters, in relation to the characters, Zicoli's not his favourite person at all right now. That you was put, a- you, The amount of times I had to stop you putting that on IMDb because you thought people didn't understand sarcasm. I'm a writer, Maximum Joseph. Yeah. I understand well, people. I understand how they talk. Unless they I got tell it. someone, I'm no, not sure that they get it. The so. audience got it. Trust me. Loud and clear. We all got it. Ah, uh, So, Zeiss Fron, looking great. As always. James Reed from The Feelers in a heavy knit sweater. Looking great. He insisted on wearing that cardigan. God damn. I, I he, wish I had a he, cardigan. You know, he there. spent $480 on that cardigan. Yeah. He bought it on a whim. Yep. He said in a duty-free shop. It's entirely merino. Oh, that's so good. 100% merino. Love it's that. So, which is not usually a chunky knit. It's so much merino. Mm. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of sheep died, if I understand how wool gets collected correctly. A lot of sheep died. That's how, to that's bring how you share a sheep. You kill it first. You cut it blood. off with scissors. Mm. So what you want in, in a second act in a film, I'm going to throw a little bit of script writing now at you now, is you want to, um, we've had Heady Heights, which is the party. We've had Lowe's immediately afterwards, well, we've which had is Lowe's all right. Squirrel dying. Um, now we want to let people see a break of sunlight through the clouds. We want to have a ray of hope. A carrot dangled in front of our audience that things, despite the fact that they're pretty bad at the moment, might improve before we get to the end. Yeah. And that's why we have Zeiss Fron traveling to his um, mentor 
and uh, friend that he got offside by having sex with his girlfriend, maybe, James Reed from the Feelers, to tie up these loose ends, to apologise, to move us forward into the third act of the film. And uh, Jeff's not going to like us revealing this, but we crowdsorted a lot, crowdsorted, sorry, crowdsourced a lot of the plot points uh, that we that we used in this part of the film. Yeah, ever heard of a website called Reddit? I sure have, and it has a a system of up and down votes. So we were just chucking plot points up there. No context, nothing. Our our subreddit, um, We Are Your Friends, Pick a Path, and people would just determine what what turn or twist would happen next. It's pretty great. Plus, we were using other people to write the potential plot points, so the whole thing was outsourced. It was a a a really great way of getting work done. Can I say this also? The cafe we shot at here, it's called Romancing the Bean. It's in Burbank, California. Yeah, yeah, And I have walked past this place so many times, never been in, and I don't know what sort of made me think to do it, but I just I wrote some reviews online of it, just sort of assessing what I imagine its service would be like. Don't know why anyone would find that interesting. Who directed the scene if you weren't in there? Uh, Oh, that, that was in my own time. I directed this scene. Don't worry about that. No, wait a minute. I will worry about this. You said that you've never been to the cafe. I've never been inside it. Oh, I see. This is an exterior shot. For those of you not watching the movie along at home, uh, we're actually outside of the cafe. Yeah. Inside the cafe. I don't know who directed those scenes. Okay, so Zay Sfron is inside at some points. Yeah. So that could have been anyone, huh? Yeah, that was just... I just found that on a stock footage website. Again, couldn't believe my luck. It all synced up perfectly with the costuming and whatnot. Amazing. And in terms of dialogue, it also almost makes perfect sense. Now, here's some good stock footage. You, there's a reason why half of these shots, you can only see Zeiss Fron from behind because it isn't Zeiss Fron. It's, yeah. a, it's a stock actor. A stocky stock actor. So we changed the screen to look like it was his phone dying, but what it actually was was a text from someone we'd saved in his phone as the Grim Reaper saying, mm. you're next. Yeah, and what yeah, you yeah. can't see in all these shots, what we had just off screen, was Usain Bolt, not chasing him at full speed, but no. just sort of holding the speaker aloft so a that canter. he'd occasionally a ca- catch whispers of it. But he wasn't quite sure what was happening. And he had every right not to. I mean, you know, again, we'd given him a lot of PCP. All these scenes where he's running, you can bet your bottom dollar, this guy is absolutely loaded on PCP. Along with our sound guy, obviously, who, as I mentioned earlier, may or may not still be alive. We lost a lot of good people on set on this film. Too many, if I'm being honest. I've worked on a lot of film sets. I've worked on a lot of music videos. Never in my life have I seen such bloodshed and needless loss of life than the We Are Your Friends. I'll tell you what, it was a a relief to me when you told me that you sort of had quite a good open area on a hill atop the valley where you knew you could hide a few bodies. Sometimes it's just lovely to hear you talk for an extended period. You know, it's just so nice to just just sit back, watch the film that we made together and just listen to you talk about it. Reminisce. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying, Max? Oh, I know. You on board? You don't need to worry about me. I know. <laughs> Do you know, though? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let me tell you this. Uh, I'll tell you a little story about what happened when we were filming in Zay Safran's actual bedroom, which is where this was shot on this particular uh, sunny afternoon in Los Angeles, California. Now, he had been researching for the role he was about to inherit in uh, Baywatch, where he'd been getting all that fabulous hook money, 
and he was listening to their iconic. And yeah, let this be a lesson to you, hook money salespeople. Uh, it works, okay? When you start sending hook money to superstars, be they're, careful. They're going to work on your projects. Yeah, be careful if they're working on other things at the time as well, because he was very distracted. What we were shooting just then with his headphones on, with him grooving along to his laptop, that was the iconic intro to the 90s smash hit series Baywatch. Some people stand in the darkness, afraid to step into the light. It was spoken word as well, obviously. We didn't play him the original theme song. Sometimes you need to have somebody to remember that hope is in sight. Oh, don't you worry. It's, it's going, going to, to be, be all, all right. right. And that's, I think, why Megan and myself work so well together is we finish. I'm always ready. I won't let you out of my sight. Each other's sentences. I'll be ready. I'll be ready. I thought it was there. Oh, maybe it is. Nah. No, that makes you... way more sense because the next line is don't you fear. And that rhymes with there. Yeah, but ready and fear. Different syllables. Similar. <laughs> Dang. Anyway, we're building to a crescendo now. That's firmly. what I love about us working together. We, we finish, finish each, each other's, other's sentences. songs that we sing. The lyrics are different, but often we get it right. Not Certainly, always. Uh, among, you know, in the muck and the mire stock of footage. Act 3 at this stock point. Stock footage. God damn, we were rescued by stock footage, weren't we? I'll tell you what is a very interesting tidbit to consider as you're watching along with us for this director's commentary is that the people you're about to see at the Summerfest Music Festival, uh, after we'd turned our backs on them for the house party scene, we said to the guys, could you ask the same people back for the music festival? They said, are you kidding? At least three people died at that party. No one's coming back. We said, well, don't worry. We've got just the thing. We went back to the same dormitory that we'd got our extras from for the previous two party scenes, and we said, guys, we know we messed you around before. Yeah. But please... We're begging you, come to this makeup party. It's going to be a great time. We're throwing it in a car park. Yep. We promise there's going to be enough water, enough catering. We've learned a lot in our years. Do you know what we've got plenty of? Portaloos. We said Enough for everybody, one-to-one ratio. Yeah. There's 6,000 Portaloos waiting for you, along with the greatest catering anyone's ever seen from a cut-price Indian dealer. Um, and what we wound up with was more Portaloos in the crowd than people. So a lot of the people, and I'm using inverted commas here in the studio, a lot of the people you see are you actually racist. No, are actually portaloos that we um we painted bodies onto. Okay. Now that was a challenge to fix and post. <laughs> yeah, they said it would have been easier if we hadn't painted all over the green portaloos because they could have just turned them into people themselves. Uh, but we insisted we were trying to help. The sensational thing about this scene is when you see it come up, you know that the end is in sight. Because I tell you what, myself, Megan Oppenheimer, co-writer of We Are Your Friends, and my friend here, Maximum Joseph, co-writer and director of We Are Your Friends. We've we seen, finish each other's sentences. We've seen this film once or twice. I'll tell you that for free. And 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 as soon as we're in the flea market, the, the, the back of an American apparel, RIP, pour some, some out for our fallen homie, we know that the end is in sight. Stock footage. We stock footage. We know that the movie which we have stock pain- footage stakingly put together through blood, sweat, tears, and too many deceased little people, we're finally drawing to a close. This whole thing's been worth it. We're getting to our conclusion. 
That's how we felt about the journey. Stock when footage. we presented it that way to Stock Jeff, footage. can I tell you this? Yeah. Stock Jeff footage. said, I could give two flying fucks about the journey. What about the movie? We said, Jeff, if you can't appreciate the amount of heavy lifting we've just got stock footage to do in place of the awful cast and crew that we assembled for this movie-making project, then you aren't about the journey at all. And he said, fucking exactly. I'm about the end result. This is a hot mess. Yeah, he wasn't happy. So what did we do, Megan? We hired Andy Circus again to play every single crowd member of this last scene. It took the remaining total of our petrol vouchers, and he did an incredible job. He was creating such a varied array of concert goers, it boggled the mind that it was all coming from one man's brain. Incredible. You know, without context of the larger film itself, what Andy Serkis did is Oscar-worthy, undoubtedly. However, we learned that was a huge misuse of time and resources because the problems mostly lied with Everything we'd gone into working together on before, Stock all footage. of the movie preceding this scene, where Andy Serkis is a scene stealer, if only he could get credit for his hard work. Um, it just it doesn't it doesn't build to anything and it doesn't arrive anywhere. It's a train going round in circles, isn't it? Yeah. There's no stop, but there's also no start. And that is why we made the movie. It's a metaphor for life. Life doesn't really have clean beginnings and endings and lessons and good people and morals and things resolving and the universe rewarding villains with bad outcomes and heroes with good outcomes. It's just a hot mess. And that's what we were trying to capture in celluloid until we were stripped of our budget to film this in film and had to use digital. Yeah. But that was the message we were trying to put out there. This film is reflective of the fact that nothing makes sense. The universe owes us nothing. There is no rhyme or reason. Nihilism is absolute. And there are no consequences to our actions. Absolutely. I think, and when people say, well, if that's what you wanted to make a movie about, why didn't you make a good movie about that instead of a bad movie about nothing? We said, because of that question. What you just said to us, that's exactly why we did what we did. Poindexter. Yeah. And you push them over. And what you've done before you push them over is cleverly put a friend of yours to crouch behind, behind, them, them, behind them so they'll fall right over. Uh, yeah. Are we ever going to be better than this? And the answer is no. That's, I mean, that this is the central thesis of the film. Are we ever going to be better than this? Seems what unlike- is better? Seems unlikely. What is this? What this is, is so non-specific, is deliberately so, that this is a nonsensical question. It's a non-sequitur. Are we ever going to be better than this? Might as well be. Are we ever going to be better than what? I. That's why I wrote it that way, baby. I know, you, you did. You get it, you get it, you get it. We both get it. We oh, do. we get it. Pioneer DJ. Yeah, she shouted to Pioneer. We promised them everything and gave them very little. We gave them a lot of stock footage. Yeah, but as they said uh, you know, at the time, certainly in court, uh, we don't want stock footage, we want petrol vouchers. But we'd, I mean, you know, as we've discussed earlier, we'd already given them all away. They were all gone. They'd evaporated like so much petrol. Stock footage. Stock footage. Stock footage. Stock footage. Stock footage. Stock footage. Stock stock footage. Stock footage. Stock 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 footage. Stock footage. This is not stock footage. This is we filmed nah that one's stock footage. That um Burger King Crown, stock footage. Yeah. Now this voiceover we had to get Zeiss Fron to record in an ADR. At the time he wasn't speaking with us, so we got a Zeiss Zeiss Fron voice lookalikey. 
Can you imagine how embarrassing it is when you have to hit that into Google? A lot of, do you mean this suggestions? Uh, No, I know what a Zaysfron voice lookalike he is, and that's exactly what we got. Stock, that's stock as well. That one's stock. Oh, no, that one we found. In the same way that original members of the band The Doors said they couldn't distinguish Jim Morrison's singing voice from Val Kilmer's after the movie The Doors, a lot of Zaysfron's closest friends, when played this audio footage, didn't correct us to say, hey, is that Zac Efron? They mostly said... I mean, why haven't we been talking more about that on this director's commentary of We Are Your Friends? Val Kilmer's <laughs> conviction and dedication to achieving the exact tonal reference and vocal range of Jim Morrison, who was a man who was like a once-in-a-generation voice, to, for an actor to go, yep, I'll emulate that, and then to, to actually do it to a point where one of the Doors producers basically broke down in tears when he heard a recording. I mean, like, I mean, why is Val Kilmer not a king of some sort? Why are we not I talking think, about Val Kilmer all of the time? I think Val Kilmer got really excited after he did that. and um, He was a Batman, wasn't he? Yeah. I didn't direct that one. I've done some directing in my time in addition to writing. You haven't directed any Batmans. Uh, no, no, so no you Batman. don't need to specify you didn't direct that specific Not Batman. That ba- no, no, no. I was just asking, was he a Batman? I haven't directed any Batman. It's tra- you don't need to bloody remind me I haven't directed any Batmans. Oh, and that's the movie. So <laughs> thus concludes um, our uh, hey, detailed retelling. Yeah. There's your name in bright lights. I wish. You know, and there's me. Our Megan Oppenheimer. together. Um. Hey, it's really good to see you, Megan. Oh, it's so good to see you again. Uh, um, uh, uh, Maximum. Oh. Call, call what time. it is. Maximum Joseph. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you so much. So, I mean, I hope everyone's got a real deep dive into the film. I hope we've uh, got a lot of fans of We Are Your Friends who have managed to extract a little more value out of surely saying the thing, you know, 20, 30, 40 I times. I think we added a lot of value to that film. And I tell you what we chucked in here, um, we took a little leaf out of Marvel's book and we went, you know what? We're going to chuck some more story in, in the, the credits. Yeah. So that's coming up. It's uh, There's a, still a lawsuit pending with Marvel on account of what we did in these credits. Yeah. Um, and we sort of then brought up the idea of Rush Hour maybe doing it first. So now Rush Hour, Rush Hour's embroiled in it too. Of course, everyone remember the outtakes from the film Rush Hour. I believe it was in Rush Hour 2 when one of the uh, stunts... Hold on for a second. I really feel like you're crossing some streams now, Maximum. We're talking about inserting plot, not outtakes. Outtakes are plot. Or they are in this movie, in this movie alone. But this is what I was referring to. Yeah. And a lot of people think that all of the cash... Tanya Romero. uh, All of the cash that Zeisfrom was putting in that shoebox is in that shoebox. That's not true. It's a dog shit. It's a dog shit. That's right. But fucking Jeff made us take it out. God damn it, Jeff. <laughs> He's a real buzzkill. I mean, to be honest, the whole movie was leading up to that one killer gag <laughs> of here's a woman who's trying her hardest to raise a kid by herself. She's been at the mercy of the 2008 global financial crisis. Is about to get her house revoked due to the bank being a bunch of cunts. Oh, I'm so sorry. And, uh, and, 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 and what do we call it? A dog shit. No, 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 no. What do we call it? The aristocrats. You know, oh. it's like a big old build up and then a release. Yeah. And the release was the dog shit, and then Jeff made us take it out. Anyway, look, all of that to say, Siegel, for the original score, we thank you. Pyramid, bring in the schemes with Cole's music. Thank you so much. 
Them Jeans, who was the pool party set and DJ technical advisor. Love your work. Yeah. The additional DJ mixes done by Siegel were just top notch. Um, a big shout out to what? Studio Canal for giving us what all the money. This? Whose line is it anyway? For all of those petrol vouchers. <laughs> Shannon Kemp on the art direction. You had a lot of dicks in this movie and I'll never forgive you for it. Uh, Siobhan O'Brien, set decorator. You were in on the penises too. I don't think I've found all of them yet. If you're going to just keep reading, Megan, do you mind if I go and take a piss? Absolutely. You, go for, you do what you need to do. Um, just make sure... That you take a piss. Yeah, exactly what I'm doing. Kelly Stevens, additional second second director. Isn't that a funny term of art that we've got in the filmmaking business? I mean, they used to be called fourth, but then we went, you know, it's funnier, second second. Um, credits were originated by the Marx Brothers, who got so many people involved in their skits who you couldn't see on film that demanded to be acknowledged uh, that they had to come up with an innovative solution. And the first man's name was Joseph Credit, which is where we take the term from. Joseph Credit worked with the Marx Brothers, predominantly uh, setting up the safety protocols to make sure that they wouldn't kill themselves when a house would fall in on them um, and they'd otherwise injure themselves. And we, we owe a lot to Mr. Credit. And to his credit, he really kicked a lot of kind of safety procedures of in the film industry we owe a lot to him and i would also additionally like to thank little room who did the post-production services uh on this film which in our particular case involved a lot of cutting together of stock footage that we had purchased on the fly um a lot of songs were used in the making of this film and from the bottom of my heart i can't express what a mediocre job our sound guy did uh, who we got in on the soundtracking, who we got from Scotland every single day. Hardly seems worth it in retrospect now. That soundtrack, by the way, is available nowhere because we didn't bother putting it out as an album because according to every review we got of an early cut of the film, the song's really stinking up the joint and the licensing alone would have just bankrupted the rest of the petrol vouchers we had, so decided against it. Some people will tell you Interscope Records put out the soundtrack, there's a fucking lie. I uh, don't believe those people. So Pioneer DJ Summerfest is credited. Uh, we thought we'd give them a shout out because we'd used that as a name check so many times. We thought we'd better chuck them in the credits, lest we'd be sued. Um, YouTube is another... I'm going to get out of here. And, and, and you know what? I'm done. I'm See gonna... you later. <laughs> Very well. See you later, Megan. I'm, I'm going to... Actually, I think we should both get out of here and bring in... Our friends and yours, well, not our friends, almost our arch nemesis, plural of nemesis. Please welcome to the microphones the shitheads themselves, Tim Bat and Guy Montgomery. Ow! This movie's still fine. Zacoli One of them dies, that guy's screw. One of them's a hottie, his name is Jay. One of them looks like Johnny Depp, and his name is Johnny Depp. Classic Maximum Joseph. You forget that films are supposed to have a point. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.